talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. Good thing we host another Grey Cup in 2023. Here's Scott Thompson! Ouch! Ouch! That one hurts. Oh! I know, I'm still doubled over. I'm, I'm still doubled over. I'm still winded. But I've just got up from the fetal position crying on the floor all weekend. Hey, what do you do? Uh, what do you do? Good afternoon. It is uh, 3.09. It's Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine on the board. Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks in the newsroom as we count down to Ted. Ted uh, officially um, semi-retirement as of Wednesday. So it's Ted's last week. You want to send him a note, send us, uh, you can send it to Ted or send it to me, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, we'll say hi to him and give him your well wishes over the next couple of days. Anyway, uh, yeah, so so we're sitting there and we're uh, getting ready to to uncork the champagne and la 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 la, la and then uh, it all kind of disappears uh, with a with a touch and a single point that puts us in tying range, and then the next thing you know we're in overtime, and we all know how that went. Uh, but uh, other than talking to Rodley, there's not much we can do about it now, and we will have that discussion coming up a little later on in the show. And, um, yeah, if you want to give us your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Man, it just had such the making of a Cinderella story, especially, oh, my goodness, with, you know, uh, a, a change in quarterback in the in, in a Grey Cup game. Um, you know, like you, you're just thinking, holy smokes, I can't believe this is absolutely happening. And then, you know, as I'm saying to my boy, you know, this could be a blessing in disguise, you know, uh, who knows? Uh, Dane Evans gets, gets hurt and out he goes. Uh, Mazzoli's back in. He gets another chance. He's lighting it up. And, um, yeah, then, then. And I'm not sure what happened after that. Uh, but anyway, we'll chat about it and uh, lick the wounds over the course of the afternoon. Again, if you got a comment, send it to us. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Uh, we'll talk to the rest of the cast about this over the next uh, uh, couple hours or so and uh, and try to decode what the heck happened and what went wrong. But you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, it was a pretty cool experience and it was a fun time. Uh, it just didn't end the way that we all uh, the the way that we all hoped uh, it would. And as Kurt was saying, twenty twenty three. Guess what? We get to do the whole thing again, and uh, that's one way to look at it. Got a couple of years to rebuild, and hey, what about next year? Ted, did you was your prediction right? Yes, I yeah. said Winnipeg. I said uh, very quickly. Yeah, I, I said people need to detach their emotion from it and just look at it. Uh, who was the best team all year? Who was the most consistent team all year? Winnipeg showed it in the fourth quarter. What about that single point, man? I oh, mean, they're talking about that. Oh. Steinauer said it was up to the player, Tim White. I, I looked at that play several times. He had 30 yards of open space. Yeah. 30 yeah. yards. Anyway, whatever, it's done. All right. I don't think there was one doubter on the bench. If there was, we wouldn't win, you know, because you need everybody to, to believe. Um, Jake Thomas came out at half and said, we got this. And I don't think it even mattered what, what happened from the start of the half till the end. It didn't. I don't think it even mattered. We were going to figure out a way to do it. Hamilton had a real good plan, and they stifled us for a lot of the game. So, And then, honestly, it's, it's one of those coin flip games. If you win the toss, you've got a real chance in the fourth. And, and that's how what it came down to, really. All right, that's uh, from the Winnipeg coach. Let's hear from the Hamilton coach. Super proud of Jeremiah. You know, he had to deal with a lot mentally and physically, feel terrible for Dane. You know, he, he wanted more than anything to go out there and put his best foot forward, and it didn't happen. So uh, the football part of Dane is secondary to his health. So super proud of Jeremiah. He gave us, he, he battled, the whole team battled. We had a chance to win. We just didn't get it done. 
There you have it. Uh, and uh, the Ticats uh, lose it to Winnipeg uh, uh, basically uh, for two years in a row uh, in overtime, which was, uh, I think, astounding for a lot of people. Uh, it's interesting to hear the conviction from uh, Mike O'Shea and, and what you know the Blue Bombers had and such. Uh, but uh, a lot on the Hamilton side as well, including a, a stadium full of people. And I think a lot of people are, are wondering... Uh, you know, uh, what happened to a lead, especially when you're giving up a single point uh, in your end zone, which theoretically ties the game and then gets lost in overtime. So, you know, it's just uh, a range of emotions for people uh, who have uh, followed the uh, the black and gold. And that's, that's sport, man. That's what it's all about. Do we have any clips of uh, some fan reaction to this, Will? Oh, disappointed, of course. But it was a good game. They rallied. And it was nice to see Mazzoli out there playing. So, but yeah, next year. <laughs> I'm so sad that they gave up the one-point conversion and then they lost. <laughs> Could have been better. It was a good game, though. Overall, good game. Let's go, Bombers! <laughs> they totally should have won. Seriously, they had it. It, it was going to be ours. You know what? It was a great game. It's our national championship. It went down to overtime. I don't like when the refs make the decisions. It was an awesome game. Congratulations, Winnipeg. I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes, wiping tears away that we lost. We were there. The city of Hamilton and what we did to get here is amazing. And I just, I can't believe we were that close. And and we were walking away with nothing. We lost, but it was still a good game. Like, it was so fair. That was a tough loss, but, uh, you know, we did everything we could. (laughs) Oski, (laughs) wee-wee. The amount of fan support that was in that stadium should have carried them through in that overtime. And it was close, and uh, it's not over. Two more years, we'll be back. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I drove a long way from BC to come here. Long-time Ticat fan, and uh, heartbreaking to see, but at least it was a good football game. A really good football game was a little cold, but the better team won. That's what it comes down to. We're so happy that the Bombers won. We came from Winnipeg to watch, and we won, and we're, we're super happy. All right, there you have it. Uh, fan reaction to uh, to yesterday's contest. Diana Weeks uh, down there and collecting all sorts of great audio. Diana, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am, Scott. Thank you. So, how was it? What was your... What, first of all, what, what are you taking away from it all as you uh, sit here on a Monday and look back at the experience? What, what stands out for you? Well, it was a great game. I mean, Winnipeg obviously you know, won. They were the better yeah. team. Um in, in terms of playing at la- uh, last night, the atmosphere was amazing. I, I truly do think that the Tiger Cats fans are the best fans in the CFL, hands down. Um, the energy there was just awesome. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of sadness after the game um, and a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> you know, it yeah. went from, uh, you know, really happy to really sad very quickly. And it, it, I, I've never seen so much black and gold in my life. It's like every person there had something black and gold on. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you know, they gave uh, all everyone that came in the the black and gold scarf, so that really helped yeah. as well. So even if you didn't have any tie cat stuff, but uh, you know, and there were some B- uh, bombers fans there as well. And I will say, I mean, when I was there, I didn't see any kind of trash talking after the game. The bombers fans were very respectful and just, uh, you know. Uh, you know, happy that they won, but obviously weren't rubbing it in f- in the faces of Ty Cats fans, which it I was think was fa- very nice. <laughs> yeah, it was fascinating to watch on TV because, again, it was just a sea of black and gold, and then every so often you'd see some blue and there's yeah. some blue and white. So, uh, were there a lot of of Blue Bomber fans there? Were there were there enough to notice, or was it just the odd little dot here and there? No, no, there was enough to notice. There was mm-hmm. there's quite a few, and of and also there were you know just other CFL fans in general, you know. There were yeah. Elks fans there. There were Red Blacks fans there. So there was, you know, a good smattering of fans from around the CFL that were there, which was really nice as well. And what about the halftime show? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, it, it was good. awesome. They really brought down the house. You know, it was it was fantastic. Uh, the, they did a really good job with the fireworks, the lights, everything. So it looked really, really, really good. 
And the stage was up at the end towards the scoreboard, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. As opposed to being more towards the center of the field, which looked really cool on TV, by the way. I'm not sure what it looked like in the stands, but but it was very cool on TV because they had, you know, the fans, uh, the, the Arkells fans behind them. Yes. Yeah. No, that looked really, really good as well. Yeah. They had like those uh, rows of stands there and that yeah. looked really cool. And they had lights all there as well. So I knew uh, that looked really, really awesome. And uh, yeah, it was a fantastic show. They did a really good job with the entertainment and just keeping the uh, the fans entertained throughout the game. I remember like tuning into coverage at like three in the afternoon and there was just like a ton of people down there around the stadium and, and just what was going on with the tailgate and stuff. And even I thought was kind of cool. The houses that were around uh, Tim Horton's field, which are normally have cars parked on them. They sort of became like a, you know, a street party kind of thing. It was a very cool atmosphere. It looked like it was. And, you know, because of the, those, those side streets were shut down to traffic, uh, you know, there was, it was almost like a street party on those side streets. So they were out yeah. on their lawns and, you know, uh, all around the stadium. And of course the big tailgate lot, uh, that was a good time as well. Totally. You know, I, I mean, I got there just after one o'clock in the afternoon and it was already bumping. Like the, it was packed, um, which was really interesting to see given that kickoff wasn't even near till seven o'clock. So yeah, you really got the impression that there were the people that were going to the game and then the people that were going to the festivities ahead of time. And, and it, you know, the great thing about the festival and all of that is, is people who don't necessarily have tickets can still participate and have some fun uh, around the stadium and, and, and enjoy the party. And it looks like that really was in full effect. Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of people that I spoke to uh, at the tailgate that didn't have tickets for the game, but, you know, they, they came out to the tailgate, they enjoyed the camaraderie with other fans, and then, you know, they went their separate ways to watch the game at a bar or a house or wherever they were going. So... So when did you know things were going horribly wrong? It, when did it, was it the single point? Yeah, like towards yeah. the very end. And, you know, I was really surprised after they, you know, obviously Evans got hurt and they put Masoli in and I was like, oh my God, we're going to win this game with Masoli. This is I great. Know. Could, could you know? anyone have painted a, a weirder picture? Who would have thought that that was going to happen? I mean, what a Cinderella story that would have been. Yeah. So, I mean, the fans were like, oh my God, Masoli, yeah. he's going to do this for us. And then toward the, you know, it wasn't until the fourth quarter, like toward the end of the fourth quarter after that one point where people started, you know, being like, oh, man, like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I had a very foreboding feeling, like, right towards the very end. I looked at faces, and I was like, no, I don't think this is going to go well, so. Yeah, it really changed on TV because you saw everybody just sort of with that blank stare on their face. As soon as that, it's like, wait a sec, you're going to need a field goal just to tie this thing. And it's like, holy smokes, what happens now? Yeah. Uh, Great and very entertaining all the way around either way, as you said. What an incredible experience, and we'll build on it for uh, 20 2023 and, and on from there. And of course, Diana is going to be joining us around the big round table coming up after the 430 news. As always, Diana, thanks so much and great clips. Uh, some great audio there. Thanks so much for the reporting. Oh, thanks so much, Scott. No problem. I'm about to do something I've never done with Eric Thomas from Raceline Radio, uh, which of course, of course, is heard every weekend right here on CHML. Uh, I'm go- I called him specifically to talk to form about Formula One and not NASCAR. Eric, it is so great to talk to you. I hope you're doing well. Uh, we're we're doing we're doing fine. It's it's nice to. Uh, it's to like the day up. you it it it's like the day you introduced me to dirt. Uh, I've never been the same, Eric. <laughs> well, that's okay because uh, we're we're big we're big fans of dirt track racing, and we're good fans of of NASCAR as well, and we're certainly good fans of of Formula One. But what we saw at Abu Dhabi, uh, to my to my thinking, was certainly not a proud moment because I mean this championship between. Lewis Hamilton uh, for Mercedes and Red Bulls, Max Verstappen. Uh, what what they pulled was manipulation that you know I do not like because you know that you're on the on the one side of it and I'm on the anti side of it. That NASCAR likes to try to finish all of their races under a green flag situation and they will add laps to a measured distance to get that. I don't like mm-hmm. that. I never have. I don't like the fact that. They will realign the field for restarts and take lapped cars out of the way. They do that in IndyCar, and I don't like that either. And what they did at Abu Dhabi to Lewis Hamilton was exactly that. And that, to me, is grossly unfair because Michael Massey, the guy who runs F1 in terms of he, he's the race director, and he warned both Lewis and Max beginning before the race even started that Settle this on the racetrack, but don't do anything dumb like intentionally crash into one another because if it's unsportsmanlike, we're going to dock you points. And he said this, quote, it should be decided on the racetrack. And, man, he sure did not do that 
because when there was a crash with five laps to go after Lewis had dominated the day and was clearly, clearly the fastest car on the racetrack, there were five to seven cars, lapped cars between him and Max Verstappen, who could not even get close to Lewis. They originally announced to everybody they were going to leave the lap cars there, but here's where the rules get dumb. Because they allowed the principals of the teams, and in, in Mercedes' case, it's Toto Wolf, the guy who runs the team, and Christian Horner for Red Bull, to communicate with the race director during the race. And they put that on the air. Yeah. And Christian Horner said, you got to move these cars. He says, give me a minute. He changes his mind in a flash. All of a sudden, the cars disappear. And all of a sudden, you got Vettel, sorry, you get Verstappen right on the back of Lewis's bumper if they had them. And he is able to get around him on worn tires, something he wasn't able to do on his own from 57 laps previous. So that finish was manipulated, and I don't like it when they do that. And now we're faced with a situation where Mercedes is going to protest this. They have until Thursday to file it officially, which, ironically enough, is the night they're going to have their gala banquet to officially crown Max Verstappen as the champion. But if they file this protest, it's all going to be in questions, and you got people with shirts and ties deciding races in rooms <laughs> with input and interference from race teams to decide the championship, which is far, in my mind, from settling it on the racetrack where it's supposed to be. I don't like the way. So this was it. all. Yeah, go ahead. And this, this situation with uh, you know towards the end of the race after uh, that that flag was that there were cars that were a lap down that were between yep. the two and initially yep, right. they were removed and then put back. That's accurate. Well, well, they, they, well, no, they were they were initially going to leave them where they were, which is the fair thing to do. Right. I wasn't. I, you know, I, 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 if you're gonna, I'm not even in favor of. Restarting so this would have. Party. This would have. This would have lap cars between Lewis that was leading and yeah. uh, and Verstappen, Verstappen who, who was, was in second. That's right. So they right. took all the barriers. So you remove all the obstacles. That, you remove all the right. obstacles. They took all, they took all the hurdles away to allow Verstappen to get close because he wasn't close to Lewis the entire race, and what he wasn't able to do on his own for 57 of the 58 laps of that race. They artificially allowed him to get up in behind. Now, Lewis did not pit for new tires when he probably should have, but that's okay because he didn't want to relinquish track position, and they had the race won cold, and Lewis looking for a record-shattering eighth championship to make him the greatest of all yeah. time in terms of championships to break Schumacher's record, and they stole that thing from him. And I don't like what's, what's, how they did that. I thought it was artificial. It was manipulated, and now we still don't know for sure long after we leave the racetrack and it should never happen this way we don't know if for sure that Verstappen is the 2021 champion and the first championship for him he'll have his day i just didn't like the way they manipulated this finish and so I let me ask you this eric there was a call that was made earlier in the race that went in lewis's favor and not yeah. Verstappen's favor yeah. uh somebody is this one of those you know tit for tat kind of things well, I, you know, I don't we, know. We, 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 can, we, yeah. we just gave back what we took away before. Well, I, no, because I don't, that was not the championship deciding maneuver. So I don't think it, I don't think it was, yeah, you know, yeah. making good on, on the situation. And in that's, and, and I have to say that I, I think Michael Massey has been guilty of not enforcing the rules fairly in, in other yeah. instances during the season, which is not fair. But in that, that instance there at the beginning of the race, Verstappen forced Lewis wide. He had no other recourse yeah. but to leave the racetrack. Got back on, but did not gain any position in terms of the gap. Okay, so that's the reason why they ruled it that way. You, and yeah. you, can, you can you can debate that all you want, but we're talking about a championship deciding decision that was artificial. You know, you know, Scott, you and I are race fans, and and the beauty of our game is that it's a very very simple concept that you have a field of race cars, and the, 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 the name of this game is to beat the other guy to the finish line over a measured distance or a measured number of laps. I don't like it when they yeah. add laps to finish under green, and if they want to have a one-lap shootout, okay, let's do that, but let's do it fairly. Leave the situation on the racetrack as it is when the caution or the safety car came out. Don't remove those lap cars. Don't do that. You know, and, and you know, yeah. it, it was manipulated, and Lewis Hamilton said that. Nico Rosberg, the former champ, who's a commentator with Martin Brundle on 
on Sky Sports F1 agrees with that analogy. I mean, and the idea, too, is that the rule states that when the pace car comes off, you're supposed to start on the next lap to turn the track green. They didn't do that. As soon as the, as soon as the, the safety car left the track, they green flagged the darn thing, and there's mass confusion about whether or not we're starting. So the whole thing was bogus in my mind, and a championship year that was spectacular. And with that Netflix series increasing the audience mm. around the world, a worldwide audience, to have it decided that way, to me, was Bush League. And I think the championship and those two guys, Max and Lewis, both deserve better. Fascinating, and uh, I can't oh, yeah. wait to hear what Netflix has to say about all this. Uh, it'll be fascinating to watch the doc. Although you know, it might be it might be a while coming out because the result may take that much longer. Uh, Eric Thomas with his Raceline Radio Network heard right here on CHML. Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Love the passion. Have a great week. I always enjoy talking to you, Scooter. We get into our four best of shows over Christmas and New Year's now, right here on CHML and. Then we're back live January the 16th, our 30th consecutive season on the air. You're a big part of that celebration. You have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you uh, in the spring. All right, sounds great. Eric Thomas, Raceline Radio Network, heard right here on CHML. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Things can change. They must change. And I say it to you, they will change. This is our most basic responsibility, our most important task, and my top and absolute priority. There you have it. Uh, Defense Minister Anita Anand and an official apology on the government's behalf to victims of sexual misconduct in the Canadian military. Uh, the defense minister making this announcement at a news conference uh, earlier on today. Then the first question is why now and what this means. Uh, does this reflect on the past defense minister in any way? How significant is this apology uh, with the discussion moving forward? Let's bring in Christian Leprac, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and fellow at the McDonald-Laurier Institute and with us now. Christian, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am. Nice to be here, Scott. Important topic. How significant is this apology? How does this make a difference? Well, I think uh, for many members here, uh, it's been a long time coming. There's been a lot of frustration about how serious the political leadership really is. Uh, and I think this sends sort of a clear message that the minister is actually seized with the issue. And rather than just passing the buck, that the minister is actually going to take charge and provide the leadership that's required. Because, of course, many of the problems that ail the institution, as we learned since 2015 and op honor, the military can't fix themselves and the Department of National Defense can't fix themselves. They're institutional matters that can only be fixed through direction from the political authority. And I think that's an important part of the apology today, uh, that uh, the minister realizes that her leadership is going to be required uh, if we're going to get out of this mess. So does this change the legal discussion or individual court cases at all, Christian, or is this more symbolic? No, and this is a lot more than symbolic, Scott. Like there's uh, the military did a poll where it asked uh, anybody and every member in uniform uh, who believes that they at one point was either assaulted or were in one form or another subject of professional misconduct uh, to report that, not necessarily as a... Uh, for criminal investigation or so, but simply so the military could get a sense of what the numbers are. Uh, and the numbers, I think, will be stunning. They will be probably in the tens of thousands. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think what the minister saw is that this is genuine institutional problem, that this is not simply a few bad apples that sort of misbehave, but that there was an institutional culture at work uh, that created a permissible environment for this sort of conduct, and that the policies and procedures in place, including the justice system to hold people accountable, were simply not up to the task and were not simply adequately uh, adequately aligned. And of course, 
these are matters that, you know, when it comes to the justice system, when it comes to many of, sort of the policies and procedures, uh, much of the direction ultimately has to come from the minister. But I think it's also about ministerial responsibility. We live in a Westminster system of government. It's premised on responsible government, that the government of the day is responsible to the people through their elected representatives. And ultimately, departments are responsible to the minister. So when things go wrong in the department, it is ultimately the minister that has to own this. And that's, I think, what we see here is that Minister Anand, as a law professor, understanding that premise, stepping up and saying, I own this file. I will fix this file. You can trust me. I understand we're going to get it done. And the first way to start is we need to recognize not just what went wrong and the extent to which people were harmed, but why this could happen so that we can actually fix it once and for all and make sure the Department of National Defense and the Canadian Armed Forces become the gold standard for the way employees need to be treated in this country. How does this reflect on the past defense minister or past defense ministers? Inherently, look, we all have uh, particular personalities and ways that we deal with particular matters. Um, And so you need to make sure you match the chemistry with the profile. Um, And the fact that we had a change in ministers is in and of itself a good indication that the government felt uh, a different type of chemistry and a different type of skill sets was required. Uh, Personally, I'm never a fan in a Westminster system of government of putting people in charge as ministers who actually understand a particular file, possibly with the exception of the justice ministry, because the Westminster system of government is premised on generalists leading the department. And so if you're a generalist, you can ask very different questions Hmm. of your senior leadership, both civilian and uniform, than if you yourself have have served in uniform. And so I think whether it was Gord O'Connor as uh, Minister of National Defense and the Harper government, Um, or it was uh, the most recent minister, uh, I think there's a lesson to be learned here that the department overall may be better off with civilian leadership um, uh, among ministers rather than as former serving members, um, because I think the current situation shows uh, that the current minister, at least I think in the eyes of the women, men, and other diverse members who serve in uniform, um, appears to have much more rapidly grasped Uh, both the severity of the problem and the leadership that is required and seems to also have the latitude from the prime minister's office. What we never know uh, on the outside is how much latitude a minister is actually given. We know this is a government that, contrary to what it says in public, is extremely controlling where ministers can't even pick their own chiefs of staff. And so if the previous government provided direction to former minister Harjit Sajjan not to move or to move only in certain ways because they wanted to manage risk as minority government coming up to an election, even Mm. if Minister Sajjan would have wanted to act otherwise, we know that he wouldn't have been able to short of resigning from cabinet, which of course in this government, in the this previous government under uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, uh, some ministers have felt necessary to do. Uh, should it have been the Prime Minister giving the apology rather than the Defence Minister, or is that the Defence Minister's role here? I think we have a situation where we have a particular department that has suffered from political leadership, as you and I have talked about in the past. And I think the message here needed to come from the political leadership of the department to demonstrate that the leadership, that the leader, as, as in the minister, is will is now willing to take responsibility for this file. I think when it affects Canadians writ large, it's appropriate for the prime minister to do so. But I think it's also encouraging because the prime minister's office, I think, is perhaps had managed this file perhaps too centrally and too closely. And I think what we actually needed here is for the prime minister to be able to give the minister a bit of latitude, to give the minister some discretion and to leave it to the minister to manage this file, to leave it to the minister to step up. This is an extremely complex file. It has a lot of different angles in particular, very complex legal angles. And I'm not sure that the prime minister's office, they might be well well sort of positioned to do sort of the initial uh, risk mitigation strategies uh, around files that might be uh, repu- have, have reputational risk, but I'm not sure they're the best prepared to try to get the department out of what is really an existential crisis for the Canadian armed forces that must be remedied without delay, because otherwise it puts the entire institution at risk. Christian Leprac with us, professor at both the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute. Christian, as always, fascinating discussion. Thanks for the time. Be well. 
Thanks for the lovely conversation. Have a great afternoon, Scott. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine on the board, Ted Michaels and Diana Weeks in the newsroom making the way around the big round table to talk about the issues of the day. And I think that's a helping heaping of uh, tie cats. Uh, hey to everybody around the di- uh, around the big round table. Good to see you all uh, sort of in mind and spirit uh, this Monday after a Grey Cup. How are you all feeling? I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so, you know, we have to uh, give Ted his credit. Uh, he has been uh, the soothsayer. He has been the person that has predicted uh, at least the last few times we've talked about Tie Cats games on the big round table, certainly since Labor Day. Uh, and, Ted, you, uh, you, did, you did have it right. People need to understand something here. You know, it, this is not about me patting myself on the back, but it's I covered it's this seeing league. through the emotion. No, I, I, yes, I covered this league for over thirty years. I think I know a little bit about football. I think I think probably more than all of us. And people were so, oh, you're picking. No, it again. You know, put put all the emotion aside. Who was the better team all year? Winnipeg. Who has the better defense? Winnipeg, although the Tiger Cat defense did play very yeah. well. But mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, when they really needed to, Winnipeg pulled it out. The Tiger Cats reverted to what they always do. Can't convert first downs. Can't convert long passes. And uh, a little bit of questionable play calling here and there. And, um, and that was it. You bring up a very valid point because you didn't mention the single point once, uh, which is what a lot of Ticat fans are pointing to today. But as you rightfully point out, if those other areas are taken care of, that doesn't matter. No, and uh, after the game, Orlando Steiner was asked uh, about that. He said it was his choice to tell the returner, you know, go out or not. Now, okay, that's fine. But when you look at the video, he had at least yeah. 30 yards of clear. So he, he could have got... Easily yeah. to the 25 or the 30. So that is something that will be discussed and, as they say, cussed and discussed for the uh, for the offseason. Boy, what a change in atmosphere you could certainly see on TV at that point. As you know, as you said, the fans were just hysterical, and, and Diana can point to that. But, boy, as soon as that uh, knee went down, it was, everybody just had – they looked like they had saucers in their eyes, that they had just seen a ghost. Diana, what was your thoughts, uh, especially being there? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously it was electric t- to be there. Everyone was, uh, you know, in a great mood up and down, though, toward the end. Obviously, Ty Cats fans not in a very great mood. Um, you know, things really quieted down when we went into OT. Uh, yeah. And I think that was because there was, you know, this sense of foreboding there a little bit that maybe things weren't going to go as well for the Ty Cats. So, total, you know, roller coaster of emotions for sure, especially for Ty Cats fans. Which equals a great game in the end. So are we putting too much emphasis on that single point, Diana? Like, you know, Ted brought up a a valid point. You know, if you're doing all the rest right, a single point doesn't matter. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I mean, the better team obviously won that played best. And I mean, it was great football to watch. You can't argue that. And like Ted said, you know, emotions and biases aside, uh, you know, Football's football, and uh, the better team won last night. But still, they had they went into overtime. So you know, basically, whatever happened in the past is done. You yeah. kind of start fresh. So um, you know, now it's going to yeah. start. Now it's going to start that Jeremiah Masoli couldn't deliver in the end when it mattered most. Here, yeah. it, mm. here it comes. That's that's kind of unfair in the end. I understand that. But I know, I understand but you're it. right. You're right. But, you're right. But what happened? Winnipeg gets a touchdown. Tiger Cats need to respond. Couldn't do it. Yeah. What yeah. do you think about overtime in, in, in football? Well, it, a lot of people are saying, well, they, they don't like the rules. Well, understand that these guys have battered the crap out of each other for 60 What do you yeah. want them to do, play, yeah. play another 15 minutes? Like, come on. I much rather prefer what we saw yesterday than the NFL one in the past where basically if a team wins the coin toss, they score the first touchdown, game over, and people are fu- yeah. As a Packer fan, I can tell you I'm furious because that happened to us several times. Will, were we celebrating too soon? Uh, <laughs> I think I at least uh, uh, was. There was a certain point there when it, I realized, oh, it's like a weight has been lifted. This is, we have optimism. We have a chance. We have, oh, no, what's happening? What's happening? And then, you know, we the, the rest is history. Um, I think overall, though, once this, once the hurt of this wears off, um, I think we're going to be pr- happy about a lot of what, 
was demonstrated and shown off in the game. I think we put yeah. up a really good fight. There was there was there was gold and there was diamonds in there somewhere. And uh, now it's just looking towards the future, which Ted and I had some conversations about earlier. But I'll let Ted for speak for himself. Now the thing is, is like Diana was saying, when once Dane Evans got hurt, and all of a sudden Mazzoli's in, yeah. you're thinking, "Oh my goodness!" But then he connects, and things start happening, and you're thinking, "My goodness, would this not be a Cinderella story?" My jaw uh, was on the floor. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because I was talking to Rick Sanford last week after the thing about Evans getting the start ice. And I was being flippant, just, you know, I said, here's what's going to happen. I said, Masoli's going to come off the bench and win the Grey Cup. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's... Oh, oh man. Almost. Ted, almost. what so you predicted ball do you have? Yeah, what the I heck know, are Ted's, you smoking? Ted's Where did, bang so, on. Like, I don't even so, want to know what his predictions are anymore, because <laughs> I, like, why even go to the game? You know? Help me like, pick horses. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to sit around his tea leaves, man. I don't want him telling yeah. too much about me here. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's a very valid uh, observation, Ted, that you... Did you think he would get hurt? I mean, that's obviously why he would be no, playing. No, I, I, I just thought... And again, I was being half flippant. I thought, okay, the, Evans is going to start. Nothing is going to go right. And Masoli's going to come in. The fans are going to go ballistic, and then he's going to win. So I I was just throwing it out there just to be a, you know, a smart guy, smart aleck, but... As it turns out, but as it turns out, um, you know, Dane Evans, that was a, a serious injury. We certainly, yeah. we haven't heard anything. I'm really hoping, obviously, that that he's okay because he's. Yeah, a he put out something out. on Twitter uh, today or last night, just saying thanks for all the thoughts, and he said something about how he had like a minor injury before the game that they didn't disclose or something and then you know mm. he, he tried to you know go in and give it its best effort but then when you know that hit happened obviously it yeah. aggravated it so you know at least he's going to be okay but you know. so what about next year and then hosting again in 2023 what happens here what needs to be done how do you plan this because you want to be in the big show in 2023 but there's also next year what do you do ted well first of all sorry uh diana's uh she's mentioned i'm just reading his tweet he said uh, just wanted y'all to know, had a minor version of the injury going into the game. Oh, yeah, that's what so I read. So he was injured with whatever he had going into All that right. game and then tried to cowboy up, but it didn't work out. So, um, yeah, so so that's the update on that. So he was injured. Don't know if Winnipeg knew. It, it, you know, they got penalized for it. Anyway, yeah. whatever. Uh, your uh, point again, so I'm sorry, Scott, I got sidetracked there. Next year in 2023, what needs to be done? Do you concentrate on 2023? Do you come back for next year? What do you do? How do you plan the next year or two, considering we're hosting the Grey Cup in 2023 again? Well, you can't even look at 2023. You have to build for next year. And they're probably going to have a new head coach. They're probably going to have a new general manager. They'll probably have at least one quarterback. Um, I would suggest to Tiger Cat fans that I hope you enjoyed what you saw yesterday because I don't like to use the term rebuilding, but I think next year is gonna, it's going to be a whole different team with a whole bunch of new faces all right there you have it all right thank you round table as always will erskine diana weeks and ted michaels it is 4:40. over the weekend you no doubt saw images of uh the series of tornadoes that went through uh the state of kentucky and those uh, very close to it a apparently about a 200 mile swath uh, of several tornadoes doing incredible uh, damage and destruction for anything in its path. And now uh, there are thousands who are trying to recover uh, from this dev- uh, devastating series of tornadoes. Let's bring in Reggie Giacchini, Washington correspondent for Global News. He's with us now. Reggie, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Good afternoon. So, Reggie, uh, what about preparedness for this? Was there any kind of advance warning? Is anybody questioning whether there was enough warning going out prior to this series of tornadoes that went through? Well, I think it depends on uh, where you are and who is talking. Some of the people that we've spoken with in Mayfield, uh, Kentucky, say that their phones had been going off for the hour before, letting them know that there was a storm that was coming through uh, and that by the time the tornado sirens went off in town, uh, there was about 10 or 11 minutes uh, for people to try and go and get shelter. Where some of the problems uh, are being looked at and investigated right now are in some of the bigger facilities, uh, like in factories. There's one here in Mayfield. There's one in southern Illinois uh, where some people don't have an ability to bring their phones on the floor or there wasn't an area to be able to escape to. That's why we saw such a high death toll uh, in this large candle-making facility in Mayfield. So there was a warning. It's just a matter of whether you have a place to get to. 
Hmm. Give us an update, Reggie. What do you know so far? How has this transpired over the weekend as far as those that have survived and those not so lucky? Well, I mean, look, for those that have survived, very many of them uh, have very little left. The street I'm standing on right now at one time was very likely a bustling neighborhood. There are 12 homes that have been decimated, some of them right down to the concrete slab. The house I'm standing in front of right now, there's a tree that's pierced through from front to back, and it's missing most of its second floor. Uh, we know there are more than a 1,000 homes across the state of Kentucky that have suffered some kind of damage, whether it's minimal uh, or extensive. Uh, the death toll, according to the latest uh, from city officials within the last hour, 74 people in Kentucky are confirmed dead. There are still 109 that are unaccounted for. Uh, there are still uh, uh, rescue crews that are going door to door across not only Mayfield here, but across many of the hard hit areas, spray painting buildings, letting people know that a search and rescue operation has been carried out at that building. But there is a concern here that this death toll is going to rise. And the governor of Kentucky has made a point of saying he doesn't think the state is going to have the resources like more capacity to be able to deal with a growing death toll. What's it like, Reggie, to witness something like this in the aftermath and then fly in and see not only the devastation, but the people who are walking around almost in total shock? What's it like witnessing what you're seeing, but also the human aspect of it? Yeah, I mean, look, there are uh, there are a lot of emotions when you are in a situation like this. I have covered a number of, of natural disasters before, and you anticipate and expect a certain level of destruction. You know, when I cover a hurricane, you expect there to be a wide swath of wind damage and flood damage. But because this tornado was so massive, when we came over uh, a train bridge in Mayfield, there was very little damage, if any. And then on the other side of this bridge, the entire town has been completely flattened. You almost start to choke up. Uh, understanding the breadth of the situation while at the same time having no understanding of just how far and wide this damage is. But, I mean, we drove in from Nashville uh, a nearly two-hour stretch, and you could see the damage dotting the highway up and down with farms destroyed and with trees uh, that had been knocked down. This is an incredibly wide and large-scale cleanup event, uh, and it is likely going to go down in the history books in the United States as the most destructive tornadic outbreak on record. Any idea how many tornadoes there were? What, give us an idea of the scope of this storm. Well, I mean, look, this one tornado that came through the Mayfield area uh, was on the ground for more than 325 kilometers. More than 300 kilometers alone was in the state of Kentucky, which is why you are seeing such a massive uh, debris field. The same storm that hit here in Mayfield also hit about an hour away uh, in the town of uh, 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 in a town uh, up the road, rather uh, called Dawson Springs, where seventy five percent of that town is missing. But this hit six, seven, eight different states from Missouri through Illinois into Arkansas, parts of Tennessee. All of them saw upwards of potentially fifty tornadoes, and some of them high ones, measuring at an EF three. There is a concern and a fear that the one that came here through Mayfield is going to come in at an EF5, but the debris field is just so massive. The National Weather Service is anticipating this could take days, if not weeks, to try and figure out the true scope. So once you're at this stage of this tragedy, what happens now? What are they doing? How, where do they start? Well, I mean, you know, people have to start by, by accepting the fact that there is going to be uh, a days and weeks long bit of grief and shock that needs to settle into the people in this community. But at the same time, uh, there is assistance coming from not only the state government with the National Guard, but also the federal government. President Biden has declared uh, an emergency a, a declaration for Kentucky, which unleashes FEMA, which unleashes resources, be that uh, physical or monetary, to help people start to begin that rebuild. We're already seeing massive pieces of equipment and machinery start to pull through some of the rubble, start to take down some of the unstable structures uh, and take down some of these uh, poles that have been knocked down with wires all over the ground. This is just the very beginning. This is going to be a weeks and months long process to try and clean up these towns and then start that rebuild process. This is a state that has said that they are eager to try and move forward, but they understand this is not going to happen uh, in an overnight period. But, Scott, what's also just as amazing to see is as this cleanup happens, there are so many people walking around offering support, what little they may have left, offering that to the people around them, to the neighbors, to the strangers who are trying to assist with the cleanup, offering shelter, offering food, offering a shoulder for them. This is a community that's collectively trying to work through one of the, the, the biggest atrocities they have likely seen in their lifetime.
My goodness. Uh, Reggie Cecchini is with us, Washington correspondent for Global News. Make sure you're watching Global News for more on all of this. Reggie, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Be safe. Uh, Reggie is in Mayfield, Kentucky. And make sure you're watching Global News tonight for more on all of this. Uh, it must just be incredible to to walk into a scenario, uh, traumatic, to walk into a scenario like that. And, and people have literally, uh, if they haven't lost their lives, they've certainly lost everything else. Uh, Reggie Cicchini down in Mayfield, uh, Kentucky, uh, pretty much the epicenter of all of this. You're, make sure you're watching Global Tonight for more on Reggie's reporting. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CSML. All right, uh, let's give you a bit of a COVID-19 uh, vaccination update. Of course, in Ontario, uh, those 50-plus are now eligible for their booster and can sign up for that uh, as well. So also uh, some uh, concern about the Omicron variant and the speed in which it travels and questions of whether it is or is not more severe than what we have with the Delta virus. Let's bring in Dr. Zahid Butt, physician and infectious disease epidemiologist, assistant professor with the School of Public Health and Health Systems, University of Waterloo, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Yes, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks so much. Doctor, I, I want to ask you about, and I'm, I know we don't know yet because it, it, we just don't have all of the information in, but that being said, it has been a, a couple of weeks, few weeks since we started talking about Omicron uh, as a variant of concern. I remember a week or so ago, maybe even over that now, uh, Dr. Fauci over the, uh, out of the U.S. said it didn't appear at this time as if this was as severe as uh, the Delta variant variant is then i believe it was today dr uni from the science table in ontario said we shouldn't be taking that approach and and assuming that this is more mild uh than the last variant of concern can you add any clear uh, clarity to this at all and and what do we know about the severity of this of this variant yeah so that's what most of the scientists are trying to figure out now whether it's more severe than uh, than delta or not or, or with the previous version, versions of the virus. And I do agree with uh, Dr. Peter Uni's, uh, uh, you know, thinking that, you know, we shouldn't, we should take it seriously as well. We shouldn't take it like that it's, whether it's more severe or it's less severe, we should take it seriously because, uh, it might happen that in, in the near, near future, it, uh, that this, uh, this new variant, Omicron might, might replace the Delta variant. And then you might end up with people, you know, in the hospitals and in ICU. So we, we should take this one seriously as well. Uh, obviously, the one concern that we do know is that it does transmit uh, a lot more easy. It's, it spreads faster. Is that what will make it outpace Delta, or does it have to be stronger than Delta to outpace? No. So yes. So there, so from what we have seen, uh, you know, in in the UK, that it has been like like the transmissibility seems to be higher than um, than the Delta variant. So. What will happen is that if if that is the case, then then definitely it it will replace the delta variant in a in in some period of time. We don't know when, but uh, but it seems like that it, it is a possibility. So it's because of its ability to spread so quickly that it would overtake delta. Is that accurate? Yeah. So so as I said, that's a possibility because what you will see now is that. Um, it will kind of, if it's more transmissible, then it will uh, it will spread more between people. And when it happens, then obviously it will kind of push out the the Delta variant and and replace it uh, basically among uh, among the unsu- uh, among the susceptible population. So, doctor, if this does become the prominent variant, and because it spreads so easily, yeah. it does yeah. overtake Delta as. Uh, the prominent variant, and yeah. then, and I, I'm putting a lot of and thens and what happens yeah. and what ifs and such, but and then it turns out that it is not as severe or dangerous as the Delta. Will it will it push Delta out, and and could we have a lighter version of this pushing a heavier version out? Is, does that make sense? Yeah. So we'll have to see whether it does that because. Um you know, Delta is still there and Omicron is still there. So we'll we'll do, we'll have to see whether it will basically push out the whole of Delta there, or we'll have a mix of infections where you also you have the Delta variant and as well as the Omicron variant 
um, you know, uh, together because it all depends on uh, on basically uh, how fast uh, it moves through a population. What are the control measures there? Uh, whether people are following uh, public health guidelines. So it would depend on on these factors. And we we would uh, if if for example we see that uh, you know people are following public health guidelines and there are restrictions to prevent the transmission of the virus, then then you may not see. Uh, um, you could say a total replacement uh, of of the delta by this uh, by this omicron and and um, by the way we want basically to not to have the virus whether it's a uh, uh, delta right. or the omicron basically and the fact now at this stage with this variant of concern we have uh, i think it's over 90% of those in ontario eligible with the first dose and then shortly behind that with the second i mean it's a massive amount of people that have been vaccinated when you think about it still a yeah. lot that aren't which is obviously a concern uh but what about dealing with a variant as uh we get more and more vaccinated yeah so what will happen is so currently uh, we are not sure how much of the uh, of the uh, you know vaccine protects against uh, this omicron uh, variant but we know we do know from uh, you know preliminary studies and that is by Pfizer that that the third dose does protect against uh, the uh, omicron uh, variant so what what will happen in the near future is that they they might need to for example, if there are other variants of concerns, they might need to basically change the vaccine a bit so that it also caters to all the other variants of concerns there that are coming. So maybe in the future, maybe next year or so, they would come up uh, with a vaccine that can protect against uh, against the variant of concerns that are, that are circulating. Uh, in Ontario, as of today, those 50-plus can register for uh, their booster dose. There's been chatter about which booster you take. Uh, is Pfizer or Moderna? Is one better than the other? Well, there's no, uh, you know, uh, so in terms of the technology that, that's used, it, both of them are mRNA vaccines, and they can be used like either Pfizer or Moderna. So there's mm-hmm. no... So if you are going to get a booster shot and if you have taken Pfizer, you can take Moderna. And similarly, if you have if you have taken Moderna before, you can take Pfizer. So there's no uh, there's no uh, studies saying that this uh, this uh, either Pfizer or Moderna is better as a as a booster dose. So both of them uh, can be used. Nasi uh, saying that for 18 to 29-year-olds with concern over inflammation, I guess Pfizer is the yeah. way to go rather than Moderna. Uh, yeah. Nasi's, again, been known to make some uh, some contradiction, and, and we have to keep it in perspective. What do you what do you learn from that? Yeah, so I think it's, uh, it's, you know, it's taking a cautious approach by saying that if you are uh, in 18 to 29 years of age, then you should take uh, Pfizer because this is a age group where you have... Uh, more cases of uh, you know pericarditis or myocarditis that is the inflammation of the heart so so they so taking a cautious approach and telling them that okay for 18 to 29 you can take uh, Pfizer but the rest of them can I take either uh, Pfizer or Moderna so all all these changes depend on on the current situation uh, out there so so that's why they have recommended this for the 18 to 29 years old. Dr. Zahid Butt with us, physician and infectious disease specialist, epidemiologist, assistant professor with the School of Public Health and Health Systems, University of Waterloo. Doctor, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Uh, You too. Thank you for having me. Look, I know I sometimes say or post strange things, but that's just how my brain works. To anyone I've offended, I just want to say I reinvented electric cars and I'm sending people to Mars in a rocket ship. Did you think I was also going to be a chill, normal dude? (laughs) Really? No, they hate you, Elon, because you're rich. Because you're rich. And if you just wrote a check, you could solve all the world's problems instead of flying into space, even though you have reinvented the electric vehicle, which is changing the way transportation works and the way we think of it. That doesn't matter. You have more money than I do. That way we hate you. Is that what it is? Do we like Elon Musk or don't we? He is person of the year. So what are we here? Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert, and is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I am, Scott. Thank you for having me. So do we hate Elon Musk or not? 
Well, you can hate him, but he is one of the smartest guys around. And I think that you hit the nail on the head, Scott. I mean, he's reinvented travel, whether terrestrial or in outer space. And people don't necessarily always like successful people. But I think that you got to get over it because at least he's put himself out there to create change. And he is. You know, uh, this scares me because we used to be really excited about people that pushed the envelope. Now we seem to be excited with people who want to take us back in time. And, you know, like I find it confusing that people think that if the Elon Musks of the world just wrote a check, that all of the world's problems would be solved. And if that was the case, we wouldn't have issues in Haiti after every earthquake. We wouldn't, we'd be able to feed Africa, let alone vaccinate them. The issue is not, if you give up your booster, Africa will get one over there. It's they don't have the same systems in place, and that's what we need to do. Why do we get get hung up on all this woke stuff that if Elon Musk just bought them all vaccines, everything would be safe? Uh, they've got plenty of vaccine. That's not the problem. You know, it's really easy to be in the opposition to something, Scott, but you actually have to do it when it comes down to the brass tacks and to create change. That's where all the work is. So the people who keep yelling, just write a check and all the world's problems will be solved. Well, we all know that that's just the superficial part and that's not really how it works. And, you know, when you give Haiti as an example, tragically as, as what has happened there, but there's also been millions and millions of dollars donated to Haiti to help, uh, you know, the people in the country and much of which yeah. has been absconded and nobody knows where it is. Yeah. So it's yeah. not just about writing a check. And, and I also think that there's a lot of, Right now, especially, the pandemic has exacerbated the have and have not culture. So if you are, you feel that you do not have, like uh, Elon Musk does, which very few people do, to be quite honest, then the easiest thing for you to do is to complain about it and say, write a check. Isn't it scary, though, when it seems more are condemning people who some would call, you know, blazers of the next frontier? Uh, in, like, it seems we're hating these people instead of saying, wow, that's inspirational. That, I might want to try something like that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, maybe that was one of the motivators for Elon Musk to be on uh, Saturday Night Live. You know, you don't get a lot of industrialists who can carry a show, number one, or want to be on Saturday Night Live. So if he feels that he, you know, he's misunderstood, people don't really get him. And the clip that you played, I thought was very telling. And he says, you know, did you expect someone like me just to be sort of your normal average chill guy? <laughs> and I think that going on Saturday Night Live was a great move for him. I saw that episode. I thought that he did great. And maybe that was one of his, you know, his outreach to a larger audience just to show another side of him. So, you know, maybe it does matter to him what people think of him, but I don't think it preoccupies him every day. So is he a good choice for person of the year? Yes, he's a good choice. And I think that when you're doing these person of the year awards, what happens is, is that you want something a little bit controversial. You want something that people will talk about, but you also want somebody that fills the criteria. So when you think of someone who has created change, much of it, you know, by on his own dime at the in, uh, at the beginning, and you know, can wake up in the morning and decide to say something that'll set the stock market in a in a tizzy, then you know, someone like Elon Musk does fit the bill. Is there a generation of Elon Musks behind the millennials that'll rediscover all of this, or is this? You know, again, going to Mars and, you know, I, I guess they're not crapping on them for the electric vehicle thing, but they certainly are for taking tourists into space and, and trying to go to Mars. Is this stifling the generations uh, to come of Elon Musk's? No, I don't think so. And I think that that whole thing about, you know, write a check instead of sending people into space, I think that that only gained a lot of traction because everybody was going in on it, right? There was Bezos, there was Branson. So all the big um, multi-billionaires all were in a bit of a space race. So it sounded like, you know, it, it, it just sounded like it was a lot of fun. So fun and games and not taking it seriously. So I think there was a bit of a pile-on mentality there. So I think that, obviously, I would hope that in the generations behind Elon Musk, that there would still be 
people who want to change the world, people who are trying to do that. And I think that you see that every day. There's still people doing startups. There's still people mm-hmm. with great ideas that want to do things for the better. Uh, so, uh, w- when I was young, I remember being inspired by people like this. Uh, maybe not as, as smart as Elon Musk, but, it, you know, it was about blazing that trail. Uh, has it turned from that to holding the handout? I hope that it hasn't. And I think that a lot of people, you know, during the, the pandemic when, you know, there was a lot of money being handed out to people, basically just to make sure that they would not be caught short and then people would be okay and be able to pay their rent, et cetera, et cetera. So we also developed a bit of a handout mentality during that. Now, people who got that money, I would say the majority of people really, really needed it. And yes, mm-hmm. there is always a small percentage of, you know, they, they were not supposed to get it, but I think that happens all the time. So yeah. I think that as we move away from the pandemic and the economy still starts to get rolling again, that hopefully we will move away from that. But I think there are always people who are looking for a handout, Scott. Alyssa Freeman with us, PR and pop culture es- uh, expert. Elon Musk is Time's Person of the Year. Warranted or not? I think so. Alyssa, thanks for the time. As always, be well. And you too, Scott. Thank you for having me. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after the 6 o'clock news and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing fine. Thanks, Scott. All right. I think I emailed you yesterday because uh, I just couldn't go to bed without this. It's like, what the heck happened? Can you give me an explanation? The single point, the single point. Then we talked to Ted Michaels today, who predicted a tie cat loss back on Friday. And he's, and, and you know, after listening to him, I, I'm coming to the conclusion that too much was put on or too much uh, emphasis is being put on that uh, that point and and and, and uh, taking the knee and not enough emphasis on just the better team won and that was only one example that could have squeaked us through what are your thoughts after this is all over well let, let's talk about that point because that's what people are talking about and then, boy it's so funny um before i answer the question i was at the uh, i went to take a look when the commissioner every year during the great cup week does an open forum with fans and uh, he did it. He does the media Q and A first, and then he goes and talks to the fans. And a, a Hamilton fan got up and began to explain that as a league, you got to get rid of that stupid one point rouge rule. Well, you would have thought that I'm amazed that guy got out of there alive because diehard CFL fans, the rouge is like sacred. And I'm thinking, I wonder mm-hmm. if you went back and asked that same question to all the Tiger fans in that room who were so angry yeah. about it today, if they'd say, yeah, I wanted to reconsider that Rouge point. Look, it was a um, it was a very big moment in that game. And, you know, Orlando Steinauer, after the game, uh, said that was the player's choice and he was okay with the decision. And I don't know and we'll never know if that's true or if the fact that Orlando Steinauer is just a good man and in a difficult moment doesn't want to throw his player under the bus. Mm. But here's the thing that, you know, a couple things about that. First of all, that's not your normal kick returner. You're down to your third kick returner. He doesn't do this a lot. That's the first thing. Second thing, he's an American guy. And the first thing that went through my mind, and again, we'll never know this, in the States, you can catch it and take that knee, and there's no penalty, and you take it out to the 20-yard line yeah, or 25-yard yeah. line. And yeah. I wonder if for a brief moment in that moment, if he just had a brain fart and mm. boom, down he went and thought, oh, mm. yeah, and so we'll never but even if you're a third, But even if you're a third stringer going in, you, you still know that one of those two guys are going to get the ball, and there's got to be some sort of plan. Yes, and yet... You know, I don't know if you'll remember this. There's a very famous moment in the NCAA March Madness tournament where a guy named Chris Weber, when he was playing for Michigan, called a timeout when the Michigan had no timeouts left. And they had just talked about it in the timeout right before. They had just talked about the fact that you don't have a timeout. And, you know, sometimes in the heat of the moment and whatever yeah. else, you know, this is why games are played, because they are humans playing the game. Yeah. And... It, it can be inexplicable, and I don't know if what I said has any, you know, has anything to it. Because uh, again, I don't know that we're ever really going to know for sure what the thinking was. Because nobody's going to want to point the finger at someone else and say you cost us the championship. 
That's not how it works. That's not what these guys do. They they talk about being a family and a brotherhood. They're not going to, no, you know, completely lay out their brother and then say it was all his fault. So we're never and, really going to know. But there's 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 various different ways that you can consider how that happened. Let's put it that way. We all know you win as a team, you lose it as a team. That's just the way it is. But man, it was as if you unplugged the stadium at that point. And I cer- I certainly know everybody at my house just went. <gasps> Yeah. Now a field goal ties the game as opposed to winning it. Yeah, uh, and you, you agree c- just as if they'd already been down three and then you gave it a four point lead. Yeah. Uh, could you imagine, <laughs> uh, you know, if you'd done that? But so, I mean, you still had the chance to tie it and go to overtime, but you're, you're right. Now, the one other thing, and again, I think this leads to coaches just not wanting to, you know, dump on someone yeah. who probably felt crappy. Michael Shea, the Winnipeg coach, said, look, not a bad decision because time was short. And yes, in the end, it looks bad because they marched down and they got a field yeah. goal. But he goes, those 25 yards saved them time and put them in a better field position. So it was not a bad decision. You know, look, we can debate this forever. Uh, mm. and, and there are some Ticat fans who will. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's so funny that a an innocuous moment like that. I mean, truly, yeah. in an entire game, yeah. that is about the least important thing you would think that could happen. And then <laughs> when it's over, you go, that's the moment. Who would have ever guessed that at that exact moment that everything would come down to that? I don't know. I, I think a lot of people had a pretty good feeling. Uh, the, the momentum just shifted. Uh, anyway, what does this mean for next year? Uh, what does it mean for the year after 2023 uh, when Hamilton hosts the Grey Cup again? What needs to be done? How do you move forward? Well, uh, okay, so what needs to be done? Whatever you need to do to get Hamilton in the game in 2023, because we clearly saw the impact of having the home team in the game all you know leading up to this i had on my show a number of times talked to people and said how big a deal would it be and it was way different than a neutral site game it was way different than if it was you know saskatchewan and montreal just the whole everything about the game was different so whatever you have to do build towards 2023 to make sure that you have cleared out bad contracts now and brought in good guys and all the rest. Whatever you have to do, get the Ticats back in there. Um, but there's going to be some changes because every report seems to be that head coach Orlando Steinauer is leaving. He's uh, very, very strongly rumored to be getting an offer to be the new defensive coordinator at the University of Washington, out Washington, like Washington State, West, which mm-hmm. is where he's from, that area. And it would be a massive pay increase for him. And so, you know, you're probably looking for a new head coach, and I don't know that you can afford to keep both of your quarterbacks that you had this year. And, um, you know, some other guys are getting up there in years, and uh, there will be changes. But, boy, just make sure you're back in the game in 2023. Good point. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator, and coming up right after the 6 o'clock news. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. Always appreciated. Thanks to Will and Ted and Diana for contributing. And as always, we leave it to you, the CHML listener, to have the last word. I'd love to hear some more Christmas music during this festive season there on CHML like we used to do. Thank you so much. Oh, 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 oh.